0: Hope is that assurance that better things are coming. Hope is that confidence, that resolution, that something good still will come. There's reason to continue. There's reason to remain faithful. That's what we're studying as we approach Christmas this morning, is that the birth of the Savior and the wonderful news of salvation, Emmanuel, and all the things that we sing about, is that there is hope. He gives us hope. And I want to share with you this morning as we get started a personal story of hope. Something that shows us a side of God's love, I think that's tangible and easier for us to understand. <coughs> Excuse me. Julie and I have some friends that are missionaries in Asia. And um, in fact, I could tell you they're, they're in China and they started an English speaking school and they're there to uh, love the people and, uh, and to represent the Lord just as they teach kids English. But um, John and I were in ministry for many years together. He's probably the best friend I have in all the world. I don't have very many of them, I have to import them from Asia really to have any good friends. So, But John and I are very close, and uh, he served as youth minister in our churches, a couple of different churches that we were in. And uh, John's just one of the most loving, honest, genuine people. Everybody falls in love with John, and he's, he's such a wonderful person. But John and Esther, his wife, were not able to have children <clears throat> for some reason. And so as I grew up in youth ministry, you know, just loving other people's kids and serving other people's kids, They were sort of uh, despondent at times that the Lord never allowed them to have their own, and after moving to Asia and starting the school there and had been there a couple years, um, the Lord laid it on their heart to adopt, and as you know, in China, you can adopt baby girls fairly uh, readily. They're they're seen as uh, a nuisance more than anything, at least in the past they have been. You know, they're only allowed to have one child, and so if it was a daughter, there was no way... Uh, to have a son, then, and so they would just sort of give up their daughters and not have them, so that they can have another child in hopes of getting a son. And this is this is widespread spread through China, leaving millions of baby girl orphans. And so John and Esther um, started the journey, and uh, and we heard about it long distance, of course, corresponding with them. But uh, such a heartbreaking, gut wrenching story because it lasts so long. By the time they identify even an infant for you to adopt. And it takes a year, two, three years before all the paperwork and all the necessary uh, hoops are are lined up for you to jump through. And then, by the time you are, if you're able to, as an American, adopt one, um, the child is already two or three years old. So we followed them on this journey, and there was ups and downs, and we didn't know if it was going to happen. And and they had the baby selected, and the, and they would see baby pictures in this orphan, and the baby looked uh, really, really sort of, you know, homely at first. She had a cleft lip and 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 looked dirty and just in her eyes, even in baby eyes, looked despondent, looked hopeless, looked lonely. You know, in a crib next to 20 other babies and, and one or two workers to care for them. Uh, but I'll never forget the day that we heard uh, the wonderful report that everything had, had gone through and the Lord was gracious and provided and they met little Stephanie. And, um, you know, she was already a toddler by then and they 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 saw Stephanie for the first time and they arranged this meeting and they brought the baby, you know, the toddler to them. And, and they had been praying and waiting and praying and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and crying. And then they meet Stephanie. And John just shared with me was the most amazing experience. Now, those of us that have children, we know when we, we give, when our wives give birth, uh, when the, we have our own children. It's quite an emotional experience. But John says, I don't think there's any experience like this one because God really put this little girl in our lives. And we had known it for so long, and then when we met her, we just fell apart. And It was just like this this tearful, joyous reunion. I have a picture, if you could show that picture, of Stephanie here. That's little Stephanie. Um, yeah, so that's, that's when they first got her three years back. And uh, boy, um, I remember hearing about her and thinking, oh, they just immediately loved her as if she was their own. And, and I think how amazing that is. You know, this child you've never met before, and the first day... You've been waiting so long that they're just your own. And I really couldn't understand it until they came home for a visit. And when they came home for a visit, they brought her home, and, and they had been teaching her the um, Chinese word for aunt and uncle. And so that when they saw Julie and I, that they would tell her, that's aunt and uncle. And so she would already know who we were and show pictures of us. And uh, I'll never forget, she, she came and crawled up in my lap. I had never met this girl. And I'm telling you, because John's sort of like a brother to me. And beyond biological bonds instantly felt as if she was my own family. This, this girl who was born to some people that I don't even know in China that just tossed her aside like property, like nothing. And there she was in my lap and I was overwhelmed with emotion. I was gripped with, oh my goodness, this girl is ours. And of course, they're John and Esther's, but, but ours. And we get to love her and we get to show her that somebody does care for her. And I'll never forget, we have a couple more pictures as she, as she grew up. You see, she looks a little bit lost there. And then that's the, the first night in her crib. It's already her own crib for the first time. And then there's another one, I think you see. And there she is with John. Already, the first, this is the first week of having her home. Already so needing that father figure, somebody to love her and care for her, that she bonded that tightly and that closely with him, even in the first week. And then one more picture. I think this is a fairly recent one. There she is. Now, does that look like a lonely, lost, hurting girl? No, there's hope. There's hope, and and as you know, we hear stories like that, and perhaps you you know of stories uh, as well. And when we think as much, I don't know of a greater picture of love on this earth than when somebody takes a, a, an orphan, a, a lonely, lost, cast aside young child, and, and adopts them and brings their own family as one of their own, and, and, and gives everything they have to them. There's such a picture of love, and and I think. Is it even possible that there's a greater love than that? Is it, do we even know God has love that's greater than that? But can we even conceive that? A love that's greater than that? And of course, our, our, in our mind, we say yes, because we know that God's supposed to be the author of love. But, but I don't know if we really understand that or not. Really gain a sense for the awesome nature of God's love. That adoption process is also reflected in God's story. The very same picture of love we can see in the Christmas story. And I want to show you that today. Turn to Galatians chapter 4, if you will. Galatians chapter 4. And we read in in Luke, Zacharias' story last week. This morning I want to read something that will show you your story. Where do you fit in in the Christmas story? We we know where Zacharias fell. Now, Now where do we fall? And Paul reflects on it this way. Chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. See, we're talking about the Christmas story. And you remember last week we talked about the appointed time, the very specific time that God had ordained and planned. Here's Paul just recounting that, looking back at it, after Jesus has already been ascended to seated at the right hand of God. He says, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born of the law. Now look at verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. I like to think that little Stephanie was born in China, and God had already planned her future God sent her, my friend John, to adopt. Literally saved her life. But I also want you to know that God, since the beginning of time, also had a plan to adopt you and sent forth someone to adopt you, and it's his own son, Jesus, and that's the story we're looking at. God sent his son, and I'm going to show you three different points from this passage that give us hope as we look at Christmas. God sent his son to redeem us. God sent his son to adopt us. And God sent his son to make God our own father. Those are the three points that we're going to look at. The first one, Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Watch this. To redeem those who were under the law. He sent his son to redeem us. Now, first of all, we have to see that we were born under the law. Jesus was born, you know, of a woman. Very plainly, guys. Let's just let's just be simple this morning, okay? No tough theological concepts. He was born to a woman, just a regular woman, who also, like you and I, were born fallen, sin nature, under the law. I want you to think about that concept, under the law. The, the law is our, our methodology when we're under the law. We're bound by it. There's no other way, when you're under the law, to exist except for underneath the laws of God. He's talking about The the, the Mosaic Laws, the Ten Commandments, the ways of God, what God has revealed and said, here's who I am as creator, here's how you are to be as my creation. Those are the laws of God, and we're under those. And when we fail, when we don't measure up, hey, by the way, anybody in here learned that you don't always measure up to God's laws? You don't always obey God's laws? Anyone? Ten people. The, The rest are all divine. Wow we should, you know what, we should just stop everything and worship right now. I mean, there's some sinless people in our midst. It's a wonderful church, huh? Now, I know you're under the law because so many of you just lied. (laughs) No, I know. You just didn't want to raise your hand. But let's be honest. How many of us found some point in our life we don't measure up to God's holy standard? We don't always obey. Okay, now we got everybody raising their hand. That's all of us. We're born that way, aren't we? We're born with this nature that has a propensity, that has a spiritual DNA that rebels, that doesn't, that can't meet all God's laws, that doesn't even want to meet all God's laws. And that's, Jesus came born with that same propensity, that same DNA. He was, he was biologically a child of Mary being born underneath the laws of God, just like you and I. God, Jesus was born that way. Now, now we're underneath the law. Imagine, if you will, this barrier, this, this lid. And to get above God's law would be a life of victory and success and blessing and everything that God wants for us. It's up there above the law when we obey it, when we consistently meet its holy standard. But we can't, none of us can climb up and get over that barrier. We're underneath it, and we're trapped. There is, once you sin one time, you're incapable of ever climbing above law and having victory over it. And Jesus came, and he was born underneath that same lid, underneath that same law, taking on that same nature. Why? Why? We're going to see in a minute that there. There's something that Jesus needed to have to present on our behalf. And in order for him to present it, he had to first be like us. He had to first overcome the barrier of the law that we cannot overcome. That's what it means. That's why Paul's going back saying, hey, there's hope. Church, there's hope in the coming, the birth of when, the appointed time when God sent His Son. Why? Because in the fullness of time, He sent forth His Son who was born of a woman born under the law. When you uh, are born under the law, there's a debt-debtor dynamic that's created. Once you fail to oblige the law, you are now in debt to the lawgiver. And all of us are in that nature. Jesus came in that nature, which brings us to the to the second point. He came to redeem us, those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. Now watch this. He, we were born under the law, but we also learn that Jesus died to pay the ransom as a result of the law. So there's a debt-debtor relationship somewhere, a debt had to be paid on our behalf. Uh, this is, guys, you say, Well, this is basic. No, 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 no. Forget that it's basic. This is is why Jesus came. We don't celebrate Christmas, the birth of the Savior, without going back and saying, what was the point? Why did he send it? And why did I need that? Why do others need what Jesus brought? We've got to understand that we were born under the law. We're obligated now. We're we're debtors to the lawgiver because we've sinned. Jesus was born that way. But listen, having never sinned, successfully obeyed all the laws at every moment in time, he rose above under the law, and became over the law. He had victory over the law. And that alone qualified him to be the one to come in on our behalf. You see it? So, so somebody had to win. Somebody had to make it up above that barrier. So that up on the top side of the barrier. Up here. So that somebody can say now. For my beloved who, who can't. I'm up here. I've made it. I can. I am holy. I am perfect. And I've lived like you. Now, let me give what you don't have to bring you up above the law to experience God's blessing in relationship as well. That's that's the hope. That's what it means that he came to redeem us. The concept there of of redeem means to buy back or to to give for. Think about it. If you go and you get a, a free gift card, for, let's say, what's kind of the best thing you can get a gift card for? Ice cream. <laughs> but Starbucks. Okay, we disagree on that. Starbucks is okay, but ice cream? By the way, there are some very anointed and blessed people in this congregation. They, if I have church favorites, they are the ones that have given me gift cards to Cold Stone. So you know who you are out there. I, I think you almost made it above the law right there. You just—you were as close as it gets. If I take that coupon or that card that's already been paid by somebody else, and I go to Coldstone and I go running in there and, you know, push people aside to get to the front of the line and all my selfish nature and get right up there and put it and say, I want this, and I give them that card. That card is my redemption. I'm redeeming back. I'm buying something that I didn't have, I couldn't get, except I have something that allows me to redeem it, to get it. You have a a coupon for popcorn, and and you give it the coupon, and you get the popcorn. You're redeeming that. You're giving something to get it back, to gain it. That's what Jesus did. He came born under the law, and then with his death, he lived his life and then died on the cross to have what is necessary to give on our behalf so that we would be received back, bought back, Redeemed. Think about it. Think about it, guys. This is Christmas. Jesus died on the cross, literally gave his life, having lived sinless, perfect life above the law, and then was punished for it, was judged, was condemned. Well, they weren't judging and condemning him, in essence, for violating God's laws, because he never did. But God allowed his judgment and his condemnation to be in your place as the payment for you're violating the laws. You're below the law. Jesus came to die on the cross so that you would be redeemed. He goes to the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies in heaven and applies not the blood of lambs and goats and bulls, what's necessary what god said i want the slaughter blood of innocence to be provided for atonement for sinning jesus came and he said father i've come to apply the blood for all of my beloved i've come to redeem them here's not the blood of lambs and wool and, and, and animals but here's my blood the blood of perfection the blood of righteousness so that we could be redeemed and bought back um You've got to be redeemed, guys. There's no way around it. You know that to be true, right? I mean, when you violate the laws here on earth, they come after you, right? You know, I think most of us would agree that speeding limits are a pretty good thing. And even if we don't agree, we still agree to abide by them when we get our driver's license, don't we? We all agree, say, yes, I will abide by the speeding limit. And, you know, you've probably been in that situation where you're driving down the road and you violated that law. And then there were some pretty blue and red lights in your rearview mirror to remind you that you violated that law. And when the officer pulls you over and says, Listen, you violated the law, and he writes you a ticket, that's your condemnation. That's your judgment. You're, you're a debtor to the city, to the county. And then you have to go pay that, don't you? It has to be paid. There's no getting around it. If not, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to lose your license. Something bad's going to happen. There are consequences. Jesus came. Not just for a speeding ticket. For eternal life. To be bought back into right relationship with God the Father. So that there is hope. So that the rest of your life isn't lived in vain. Just with hopelessness. That what, What's going to happen? No, I know what's going to happen now. I have purpose and meaning. I've been bought back. I've been redeemed. That's why Jesus came. He sent his son to redeem us. And then finally, under redemption, we learn... That now the law no longer condemns us. Now the law no longer condemns us. Listen, how many people, now again, we're we're being honest. We already started in on the honesty journey, so we got to stay there. Now, how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, when you look at yourself, your life, who you are, you can't help but see some of the failures of your past. How many, you know what, I just, I can't get past, you know, I failed here. I, I, maybe it was bad. Maybe it was drastic and dramatic. I don't, I don't know what it was. But somewhere in our life, we failed. We missed opportunities to obey. We didn't measure up to God's law, and it was a mess. Everything fell apart. And some of us, if we're, if we're honest, some of us have trouble facing the future because we continue to view our life and ourselves with that past failure still part of our identity, still part of who we are. You know what we're doing? We're still living under the condemnation of our sin, of breaking the law. It's back there, it's already happened. It's in the past, but we still face the future as if it's who we still are. And when Jesus came to redeem us, guess what? He didn't just bring us back into right relationship with God. He also forgave us of violating the law. And you've been now you're at a place where you're no longer under the condemnation of the law. The law no longer has its long-casting eternal shadow over your future and over your life. Hey, I don't, I don't know about you, but that's hope for me. You know what? I can face the future now. I can face tomorrow and the next day without the shadow of of being identified with my past failures. Why? Because Jesus redeemed me. Because he redeemed me. I know there's somebody here this morning, and that hits home with you. I can't can't get out of this past. I can't. You know what? My only question to you is this Have you allowed Jesus' redemption in your life? Because it all comes with his redemption. God sent his son to redeem us. But there's a very transactional flavor of that, this redemption. It's almost like, you know, I, I don't know what it looks like. When Jesus goes before the Father on our behalf and you know, applies his blood, and I, man, all I have to go by are the words that it says in Scripture. But guys, could you imagine what the weight of that? The, the, I can't even picture how it looks. But it's a transaction. It is, there's a sin debt your people. I've paid the debt. It is satisfied. It is finished. It is acceptable. They are justified now, and those who trust in Christ now have been redeemed. The other side of that, the transaction has occurred. You were under the law. Now you're over the law. Now you are the law. You are apart from God. Now you are in relationship with God. You were incapable of God dwelling in you, now you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. All that happens instantly at a transaction point when we trust and receive Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection for us. There's a legal transaction that occurs in the halls of heaven, but there's more. He sent His Son to adopt us also. Now this this adoption concept is interesting, and and I want to talk about it just for a minute and, and help you apply it. Reading on in verse 5, it says, He sent His Son born under the law to redeem those who are under the law. Now watch, finish the sentence. That, you might write in there, so that, to cause, what? That we might receive the adoption as sons. He sent His Son to redeem us, forgiveness comes, but there's more than that. That's the beginning. Not only are we redeemed bought back from the law and sin nature, but we are also given something beyond that, an added feature of God's plan. And, and oftentimes the church, we miss this, guys. There's an added feature of God's plan beyond your get-out-of-hell-free card. I've been forgiven. I have hope. I have a future. I know I'm not going to be you know, held accountable for judgment and my sins anymore. I'll be with God. That's great news. He came to redeem you. But listen, that's only the first step. That's only the birth point. Now, he shows us that God also sent his son that we might receive the adoption as his sons. That's an amazing thought. Um, How many have ever known a child who, who needed to be adopted? Anyone? child who was going to be adopted or needed to be adopted? If we were to share with those folks... Those of us maybe who, who don't know somebody, here, here's what you would learn, and you might even experience some of this on your own. Adopted children begin to grow up missing something that comes with the family, without parents. There's there's missing. There's one. There's a sense of belonging they miss. So when an adopted child comes into a family, one of the great benefits that they first learn, is they gain this sense of belonging. And even if it's something they're not told verbally, they get a sense for it. They're part of the family. They go to dinner and they laugh with mom and dad and mom and dad cares for them. And then there's discipline and standards in the home and there's all kinds. And they're included in the traditions of the family and they're they're treated like other members of the family, right? And they get to serve and help part of the the burden and the weight of the family. All that gives an, an orphaned abandoned child, this powerful, incredibly valued sense of, I now belong to a family. I now belong. And guys, that is a huge benefit. When God sent his son to adopt us, there was also a sense where we were under the law, orphaned. It's almost hopeless, like an orphan. It's almost just like, I don't have a family to belong to. I'm one of these outcasts. I might as well live up to being an outcast and just do whatever. It doesn't really matter. Spiritually speaking, When we are trusting Christ as our Savior, we place our faith in Him and He redeems us. The Bible says the result of that is that we are then adopted as children of God. Orphaned, once without a sense of family, now belonging, without genuine, intimate care of a loving father. Now having all of the focus and attention of the genuine, intimate, loving care of a father. Without the support that a, a dad and a, and a real family provides, the ongoing support. I don't know about you, but my kids are in college, and, and one of them's even graduated from college. And I, and I this is true in Pastor Joe's life with his kids too. There's still a sense where you are in a support role to your children. It, it maybe isn't paying for them although maybe it is. It maybe isn't feeding them, although sometimes it ends up being that. But you still support them, don't you? They still, when, you, when your kid's get in big trouble, this week, two of my girls had really tragic instances happen in their life. Tough time, tough time. And mama got in the car and took off into the snowstorm and drove all the way there just to sit with them and encourage them and pray for them during these last few days of the quarter at school and help them. That was a role of support. And, and our kids... I don't know if they know it or not. Our kids are blessed that Mama Bear was unstopped by that storm, unstopped by her cautioning, warning, cautious husband. There was no stopping Mama to get there because they're our children. And we support them. We want them to succeed. We want them to experience the greatest, the best. And when you're adopted, Through the blood of Jesus Christ, your Heavenly Father also cares about your future. He also supports you. He also cares and lifts you so that you would experience His very best. Why? Because you're His child. God doesn't leave His children as orphans. He gives them the very best. He's given us all things that we need pertaining to life and godliness as His children. Listen, you didn't get there because you were good enough. You didn't even get there because you were just born. You were born under the law. You were born an orphan. But Jesus came. And because he came, he redeemed us. And he allowed, through that process, for the Father to adopt us as his children. There's one final thing I want to show you about adoption. Now, Paul's speaking to the church at Galatia here. The church at Galatia is very Greek-Roman in thought, in makeup. And so, I imagine Paul thinking, what, what can I show these people to get them to understand what happened when Jesus came? And the Holy Spirit gave him this concept of adoption. Now, adoption is not necessarily a Hebrew thought. J- Jews don't adopt. They have a different process. And Romans adopt, but they adopt differently. We think of the little orphan baby like Stephanie and, and the infants that come home. In Roman culture and society, you never adopted babies. If they were an orphan baby, they were going to die anyway. It was a waste of time. Adoption took on a different meaning. It was, it was more something that the nobles and something that those of affluence and who had means and had, had been sort of raised up above society, adoption was something that they practiced. And almost always, it was an adoption of an adult. In Roman culture... Rome, first century Roman society, you would have people like Julius Caesar, for example, who raised up his own children and looked at his children. And one they thought, I have so much to leave, <laughs> I have all this stuff, and he looks at his children's life and he goes, I can't trust them with it. Hello. That happens to people with means and affluence, doesn't it? Like, kids raise spoiled. <laughs> they misbehave. They take it for granted. They're entitled. And then, and then the person, not just Julius Caesar, but anyone who had means, could look beyond their own family and say, because I don't want to leave everything I've worked so hard for to this child who's going to squander it, I'm going to choose somebody who's proven to be more faithful, and I'm going to adopt them, and they're going to receive my title and my inheritance. Julius Caesar did that, by the way. He adopted one of his sister's grandchildren by the name of Octavian. You know know who Octavian is, don't you? Octavian is Caesar Augustus, the one that was in rule when Jesus was born. And you know, Octavian or Caesar Augustus also had kids that were misbehaving. And so he had a wife who had a son from a previous marriage and he adopted him. Tiberius. Tiberius. Tiberius was ruler of the empire when Jesus was crucified. You see, it was was very well known and practiced. You can't trust the biological inheritance, the heir. And so you adopt somebody who's more faithful, who you can trust because there's so much at stake. The title that you've earned and the means that you have, you don't want it to just squander away. And it's so important to keep it going. What is the point? Well, the point is this. If you're here this morning and you have means, you have a title, you have one of those nice new Dodge pickup trucks, I'm available for adoption. <laughs> hey, come on, some of you are going to go soon, right? And you've got a lot, you've got one of those kids, you just don't want to leave it to them? I'm here. Julie and I would be, no, I'm just kidding. That's not really the point. What is the point? The point is that someone was adopted because the value that the father had to give was carefully entrusted to someone so that they can continue on keeping it valuable. You are adopted, and Paul used that very same concept, very same word to describe to us, you have been adopted as an adult perhaps. Not because God couldn't trust his own son, but because he also wanted to entrust everything that he has, his, his kingdom, his title, his purposes, all of creation, everything that God has that's valuable that he's intending to do here on earth, he wants to entrust that to us and it, we have to be adopted to receive it. What does that say about your life? You want to talk about Hope? We want to talk about a future that's worth something? When you've been redeemed, when you've been adopted by God, you also have now for the rest of your life the inheritance of the Father's business, the Father's title, the Father's responsibility and privilege. And the Father's responsibility and privilege is to glorify His name, to reach those who are lost and prepare for a coming kingdom, a literal kingdom. You and I are all because of what Jesus did, only because of what Jesus did, now have been adopted into that and have also as our inheritance part of his plan to glorify his name. That's, that's our business now too. We're part of that family. To carry on the work, to redeem those who are lost. For those who still haven't been redeemed, our, as the redeemed, responsibility now is just like the Father's, to carry on that work so that others can be redeemed as well. And adopted. And I got news for you. The Father's plan is very clearly in Scripture to establish literally a kingdom on earth. That's God's plan. And you also have been adopted to be privileged to be part of that as well. That's, that's what the rapture is for, folks. That's why you need an earthly body. Because there's an earthly kingdom coming. And it's for those who have been adopted to enjoy to be blessed. There is so much hope for those who have been adopted. Alright, and we turn back to, to in the Galatians. When the fullness of time had come, read it with me, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem, He sent His Son to redeem us, those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption. He sent His Son To adopt us as sons. Now read in verse 6. And because you are sons, that's for the redeemed, the adopted, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but now you're a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through who? Through Christ. He also came to make God our father. You see, that comes with adoption. Now, now, folks, put yourself literally in the analogy here. Imagine little Stephanie that we, we showed her face earlier. Imagine all that she gained, all that happened in her life that day. She wrapped her arms around John's neck and hugged him and knew, I now have a daddy. Come on, dads. You have little girls, even little boys, especially when they're little. How much value, how much meaning is there to a child when they run up and wrap their arms around daddy's neck and say, I have a daddy. He cares for me, he protects me, he loves me. I know I'm safe, I know I'm okay. Why? Because I have a daddy. And and all that happens to an orphan when they don't have that, listen, you don't have to experience that in this world. You don't have to experience that spiritually speaking, being orphaned. When you're adopted, When you're redeemed, you now have something much more than a transaction. Jesus came with a transactional purpose, but with a relational intention. He also wanted for us to be adopted so that we would have a relationship. And now listen, listen to me, church. The hope of Christmas, the thrill of this hope that we receive is this. In a relationship with God... It makes all the difference here and now. It makes all the difference here and now. How you live your life, what you experience, we see this even, even in the use of this very specific narrow word. Now, I'm going to call your attention to this word. He says, he's given, sent forth, the, no, guys, stay with me. This is for those who have been adopted. If you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior, if, if a person hasn't received by faith what Jesus has done and made that choice, then they're still orphaned. That might be you. And so this does not apply to you. There is no hope. The only hope is found in this, that those who have been adopted, now because you are sons, it says in verse 6, God has sent forth something very specific, his spirit. Now listen, when you're adopted, you're not maybe biologically, genetically an offspring, right? You're somebody else's genetics and biology, but, but you've been adopted nonetheless. The same is true spiritually. God says, you don't have the blood of God running through your veins. God doesn't have blood. You see, Jesus did not, Not after his glorified body, he didn't. So, since we're not like tied with genetics and with biology to, to the father now, an adopted child on earth will never experience this much. Here's what God does. Because I want you to share my very nature, my own DNA, my own makeup, I'm going to, now that you're adopted, insert inside of you, watch this church, I'm going to insert my own spiritual DNA into your heart called the Holy Spirit. You ever wonder, why, what's this Holy Spirit, and what's, what's the gift that we receive when we trust Christ as Savior, that the Holy Spirit comes in our life to dwell within us? Well, that's God saying, I so love you as my child, my son, that I want to give you my own heartbeat, I want to give you my own genetics, I want to give you my own makeup. He places within each of us the very spirit of the living God, his own nature. I don't know if you realize all that means, but it's absolutely Miraculous. That you can now understand God. You can now think like God. You can now receive the heartbeat of God, the intentions of God, the, 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 the chemistry and the, what God is doing and why He's doing it, and all of His emotion and intentions that, that we try to understand comes through the Holy Spirit. And He places that within us. Now, all of a sudden, we, we think things we never could have thought before, we understand things we never could have understood. We now can live victoriously. We now can obey the things of God. Yes. That's hope. Our whole life has changed. And now we're brought into this intimate, close relationship with him. Abba. Now, there is no Hebrew word. And there is no Roman or Greek word that really captures this concept. Abba is an Aramaic word. So Paul grabs on this concept that Koine Greek didn't have and his own native language, Hebrew didn't have. They have words for father, but they don't have a word like this one. So he has to go to the Aramaic and he draws out this word and he says, here's the concept that I want you to understand. When God places his spirit in you as his father, you relate to him now as daddy. And then he uses the word father right next to it as well just to make sure we understand that's the context Abba, Daddy, Father, intimate, I'm yours and you're mine and we belong to each other and you will always be there for me and protect me. That's what God gives us in redemption. I don't, hey, I don't know if you got that yet. Some of you are looking at me like this. I don't know what that means, but I know this. The light bulb of what I just said really didn't come on, or you would have been going, "Oh, really?" You understand that that means that when things happen to you here and now in this life, the circumstances of life and the storms that come. And listen have you have you ever been have you ever been afraid? anybody ever been afraid? Have you ever been worried or confused? Has anybody ever wondered, is it really, is it, I don't, I don't know what's gonna happen here and 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 I'm I'm consumed by I'm not sure uncertainty and I don't there's no hope. Right? Am I in the right room? Did Devos experience that sometimes? See, that's the world we live in. Circumstances change all the time, and, and, and they tend to draw us down back into the ways and the hopelessness of the world. But being Adopted and having Abba, Father, Daddy relationship with God means that no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what they are, there's always something consistent that can never be taken away from you that gives you eternal hope. And that is that God has you in his hand because he's your daddy. He's your Abba, Father. He cares for you like no one else in this world ever could. Oh, what does that mean for me, Abba, Father? Father. Two things, and then I'll close. It means, number one, there's no more fear. There's, did you know that it's possible to live without fear now? Hello, I got somebody's attention. What? Did he really say what he just, yeah, he did. What heresy? No, without fear. Now, I got to prove this, because it's not just my thinking. Turn to Romans chapter 8. I'm going to show you where it says that in your Bible. So you're going to want to mark this. Turn to Romans chapter 8. You ready? Get there. Okay, I'll wait. I'm hearing pages turn. That's good. Romans chapter 8. Look, is this really true? No fear? Yup. That's what it says. Watch. Romans chapter 8. Again, this is Paul writing. Roman Christians in Rome. Hebrew Christians in Rome. Listen. Verse 13, chapter 8 says, For if you lived according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now watch this. Verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, what have we received in the spirit of adoption? You need to turn back to Galatians chapter 4. The Spirit of God. Remember when we were adopted, redeemed? He put in us the Spirit of God that cries out, Abba, Father, is what it said. You with me? The Spirit of God is what connects us to Abba. It gives us Abba, right? The Father. Now verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit, he's talking about that very same spirit, of bondage again. You once were in bondage, you once were under the law, you once had no hope. You did not receive that when you got redeemed, when you got adopted. To fear? For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but received instead the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. Did you see that? Guys, mark that verse in your Bible. Because here's what he's saying. The circumstances come, and you may be tempted to be afraid. Well, what is fear? Fear is I sense that maybe something might happen to me that threatens my well-being and my good. And the Bible says, as adopted child of God, there is, listen, there is nothing that could ever happen to you that would threaten your well-being because you belong to the Father. Amen. Hey, an amen goes right there. That's that's one where it belongs. You see it? It doesn't take away the circumstances. It doesn't mean that we won't have circumstances that would have caused fear before. It doesn't change those necessarily. What it changes is a resolve in the midst of those circumstances that whatever happens, I know that I've been adopted, and I know I have my Father who cares for me and protects me. He has my best interest in mind. I wonder, what does it mean to you to have the eternal God, the sovereign creator of everything that is, to be the one responsible for your well-being? What does that mean? Now, I'm not a rocket scientist. I'm not a great theologian, but I know this much. That means I'm okay. That means I'm going to be okay. Jesus experienced this himself and modeled it and showed us for him, showed it to us in Mark chapter 14. Turn there and we'll close. Jesus showed us this very same concept in his life. There is no fear for those who have been adopted and cried out by the Spirit, Abba, Father. There is unshakable peace. That's what you have to gain by this intimate relationship with the Father. Now Jesus had it, and He showed it for us. Look at uh, Mark chapter fourteen. Are you there? Yeah. Thank you. Got one. Everybody else gets there. Mark fourteen thirty-two. Then they came to a place which was called Gethsemane. You know where we are? Now we're at the end of Jesus' life. Came to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Look at there. There's the Son of God facing circumstances that are tempting him to fear. Deeply troubled, distressed. And then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. Guys, even the Son of God had circumstances in his life that really rattled him. He was facing exactly what God led him to do, exactly what God the Father brought him to, having God's hand over him. And even in the midst of that, he said, look at this, I'm seeing what's happening here in life, the circumstances, and and I'm distressed. And he went a little farther, it says in verse 35, and he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. you You know what? Before I read verse 36, can you imagine that? Jesus, God's own son, being fully God, comes to him and says, now I know this is your plan and that's why I'm here, but if there's any way to get past this without what I'm about to experience, can we please do that option? Only daddy could hear that kind of request. Like, you wouldn't bring that to this awesome, scary adopted father that you don't really know if he has your best interest at heart. You would never question and bring that to him. You would never wonder that. You would just say, I don't want to say anything because I might make you mad. But Jesus, in a sense, crawls up in the lap of daddy and says, listen, daddy, I'm paraphrasing here. Are we going to be okay here? Is this really what it has to take? Is there another way? And I know you're daddy and you have my best interest. I'm just asking because I'm tempted to be afraid here. You see it? You see it? Look what it says in verse 36. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Now watch this. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. right there in Jesus Christ's immense turmoil. Trying to reconcile and make sure and just like this is going to be exceedingly painful, taking on the sin of all of mankind and being crucified and killed, humiliated, spit upon And left dead. Is this really? God, listen. For those that think, you know what? When you become adopted as a child of God, it just means a free life of ease and never facing any difficult circumstances. Well, that's not the model of what happened here. He's now become part of God's plan and it allowed him circumstances where he said, you know what? Normally I would be afraid here. But in the midst of that, we see, he shares with us, it's a snapshot to show you something. We see the transition in his heart occur right there. Why? Because he can call him Abba Father, he says, nevertheless, not what I will, but you will. Nevertheless, not what I want, but you want. You see the transition? You, you, you watch Jesus' transformation right here from being deeply distressed to unshakable Peace unshakable resolve to continue to do what's right. Why? Because he knows, this is what he knows, if it was not the father's plan, if it was not for his best interest, at that point, because he's daddy, he would have done something else. He would have kept him from that if it wasn't for the best. But because it was for the best, because he shares that relationship with the father, it's as if the father's saying, Son, it's okay. I have this. It is necessary. But I will protect you. I will sustain you. I will comfort you. I will be there for you. I think some of us are facing some circumstances. We wouldn't necessarily say, I'm about to be crucified and killed for the sins of mankind. But our circumstances, nonetheless, are pretty scary. Pretty uncertain. Children, wayward. Grandchildren, grieving you. Finances, questionable. A relationship sour and not looking like it's going to work. Somewhere in your life, if you're going to continue to persevere and do what's right, it's going to cost you more. To do what's right. Commitment. And you can stop right now, church. Right where you are. And if you have been redeemed, adopted, and you can call Abba Father. Then you can stop and say, Father, is this your will? If there's any other way, if, if, if I could have it this way, I would, or this way, I would. But, but show me your mind and give me your peace, Daddy, because I know that you have my interest at heart. I know you will protect me. Give me, make sure I'm close to you, and that's all I really need. And you can know for absolute certain, listen to me, the world can't take this away, church. Nothing can rob you from this. You can know with absolute 100% assurance right now, right here, that you are absolutely in the will of God, and he has your back. You can know that. Why? Because the Spirit of God dwells in you. And the Spirit of God cries out to Abba Father and speaks to your heart and brings an unshakable, supernatural, unexplainable peace in your life. That's why there's hope. That's what he brought and that's what he offers in the Christmas story. I'm going to make this statement and then we're going to pray. The most peaceful place on the planet is to be intimately and personally connected to the Creator. There is no other source of peace like that. And it will sustain any circumstance and any situation. Right here, right now. Let's pray. Let's pray and and seek for that peace. Let's cry out with the Spirit of God that dwells within each of us, Abba, Father. I've been redeemed. I don't live in the shadow of my sin. Father, thank you for redemption. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross. We celebrate the birth when, when the point of time became clear that that's what you're doing and you, and you divinely, supernaturally conceived him in a woman born under the law. And there are those here this morning, you're right here. So glad you're here. Don't want you to be anywhere else but right here. But you've never personally trusted that truth for yourself. It's been good for your mom, dad, parents, grandparents, church people, but you've never resolved that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection was the forgiveness of your sins personally, and you desperately need redemption. You're under the law. This morning, you receive redemption like this Father, I know that I'm a sinner. And I'm guilty. Condemnation is due to me. I'm a debtor. Right now I believe this truth. You really did send Jesus, your son, for my sins. And I choose by faith to accept his death on the cross and shedding of his blood for me. For my sins. Redeem me from the law now. By your grace, I invite you into my life to be my Lord and Savior. Right now, right here. And now all of us in this room have the Spirit of God having been adopted. Father, thank you so much. God, this circumstance that I'm facing and life as it unfolds right now, December 2015, with all of these realities that are pressing in, I come to you because you are my Father. And there's nowhere else I want to go right now with this but to come to you. And church, I want to open up the altar. Physically, if you want to come to the altar, coming to the Father, bringing your life, bringing your worries, bringing your fears, your circumstances, would you come? Just come now. Take, take a few steps and respond as God's speaking in your heart. If God's Spirit is crying out, Abba, Father, and you just want to get up, stand up, and say, Father, I love you. Thank you. Thank you for adopting me. Let me just spiritually wrap my arms around you. fear. As you're praying, church, can you just fear, excuse me, can you just feel the fear dissipate? He's got you in your hands, in his hands. God has you. You're his child. You've been adopted into his family. He's given you his own spirit. Here, call me Abba, Father, because I'm yours. And you just sense that fear going away. I don't. I don't need fear. Nevertheless, Lord, whatever it is that you will, that's the safest for me. That's the best for me. This season, we're celebrating the birth. Your son and Father, thank you so much for giving him to us that he came to redeem us, to adopt us, and to make you our father. That's what we celebrate this morning in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Let me call your attention to that response card as the ushers who are going to help with the offering come forward at this time. Um, folks, that response card is for you to continue worshiping. I hope that message that truth ministers to you and encourages you. But listen, somewhere in there, God spoke to your heart and you have a chance to respond and say, yes, God, here's what I see, here's what I will do. If you prayed that prayer with me to be redeemed this morning and you gave up and surrendered and accepted Jesus' death for your sins, for eternal life, would you mark that on the back of that response card to say, I prayed to receive Christ today. We so much want to know that you made that choice and rejoice with you and help you. Maybe you want to follow in baptism or join the church Whatever it is God says to you, write it on the card. And we're going to take up this card in our offering because it's giving back to God. And that's how we worship. We give. But we're also going to give of our tithes and offerings. And let me just help you understand this morning. um, if, If you came here and you're a guest this morning and you don't want to give anything, that's fine. We're just glad you're here. But if God spoke to your heart and you'd like to give in, as an act of worship, there's three areas that you can give this morning. One is for the regular offering, the tithes and offerings. By the way, we have a few leaks going on in the place this morning. So um, we rely on the tithes and offerings of God's people, His provision to care for us, and we're trusting Him for that. Please be faithful, be consistent. It's the end of the year and strong with your faith, with tithes and offerings. Secondly, we're taking up a special offering above our tithes and offerings And we're giving a Christmas offering. And that's what this manger up here is for. If you want to put it in here or in the offering plate, make sure you mark it. It's for the Christmas offering. And that money is being collected to help with Pastor Tan, our our sister congregation of the Mian. Pastor Tan has an international Mian to the Mian folks in Southeast Asia. It's incredible work. Um, He's translating, preaching, giving resources. And we're going to help him with some of the technology to do that so that he can be much more effective and efficient. God's laid that on our heart and burdened us and we're trusting him to provide. So if he lays it on your heart, please do so. Thirdly, we have our Upward basketball about ready to start. Our major outreach to the community. There are nine children who would like to be part of Upward but don't have the money to be able to register. And it's like 80 bucks, roughly, a kid. And we've already collected a third for all nine of them. And if God lays it on your heart, maybe you want to put that in our place. Say, here's a tuition for one kid or part tuition for a kid or whatever it is that he lays on your heart. God. this... Listen, I don't know of a more practical act of worship than what we do right now. This is it. This is where we say, God, here. Here's my heart. Here's my gift. Here's what I give to you because I trust you. Pastor Joe, would you lead us in prayer?
1: Father God, as we think of these words this morning, no greater love, no greater love. Lord, we think about human, human love. And realize that it comes so far short of your great love. Lord, I pray for those this morning that almost. Lord, I pray that this Christmas season, that the almost would be, yes, Father, I surrender my all to you. No greater joy, what any of us have, than this. And Lord, as we bring our offerings, as we bring our offerings, our gifts to you, Lord, may we do it with a willing heart that says to you, Father, we love you back. We do this for you.